Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. Well, we're doing a tribute episode today. A great spiritual leader, influential human, and and just probably all around really nice guy passed away recently. Perhaps you heard Teak Not Han passed away January 22nd of 2022 just just recently and we're going to do a tribute episode where we listen to an incredible discussion by him directly he was a huge influence on my life and we'll get to that still is and we'll get to that in just a second but i want to introduce my co-host the person who was here for these beyond the news episodes lecture episodes and then tribute episodes as well technically i guess this could qualify as a lecture episode, but we're going to call it a tribute episode. But she's here. Bryn Anderson <laughs> of Vital Force Herbs. How are you doing, Bryn? Hey, good. Thanks. All right. So you're back. I'm back. Here I am. Tribute to Teak Not Han. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're doing this. Thank you. Glad to be a part of it. Teak, you know, this week it's Teak because he's an influential human. Like I said, spiritual teacher. We're going to read his bio in a second. We'll get there. Spiritual teacher so much more just leader human leader Mm -hmm. but before we get to the bio before we get to the trivia i need you to do something for me check out waveblock.com waveblock has developed a product that protects you these are emf shielding Stickers for your Apple products, the AirPods, the iPhones, different versions of the iPhones are available. Different styles, the classic AirPods, the new style of AirPods. They have these products for you at waveblock.com. According to the CDC, your phone uses radio frequency radiation to transmit its signal. This cloud of radiation sits just outside your brain the entire time you're using your phone or AirPods. The more you listen with these devices, the longer you have them near your body, the longer this radiation bioaccumulates. It stays in the tissue. There's an SAR rating, which describes how the radiation is absorbed by your body. So these products shield you from these emf frequencies they adhere to the devices the bluetooth airpods the iphones and they push the signal away from your body the products these devices the airpods they're here millions of people have them we just have to work with what's here and protect ourselves as much as possible And we do have a Midnight on Earth Wave Block discount code. It is the word Midnight, M-I-D-N-I-G-H-T. This gives you 20% off your order, any order of any amount. Use that code and you will get that 
discount. No other podcast has that. Nowhere else on the internet will you find 20% off your order. Android fans, there's products in development. It's coming. But what is available now? Friends, family, coworkers, people that you know that use Apple products can be protected. This is what's here. This is what's available. So everyone, please, if you're using these devices, if you want to be protected from electromagnetic frequency EMF radiation, you will be using WaveBlock. Women, you're putting the devices in your bra. Pregnant women, I see it on the straps of the tights. Men, I see it in all kinds of special places. Aliens, perhaps it affects you too. Light beings, does it distort your radiation? I'm not sure, but I do know that for humans, it has been shown to destabilize DNA. It disrupts the covalent bonds. I've looked into this. I wouldn't just be telling you this. So please, people, go to waveblock.com. That is waveblock.com. Check out the five-star reviews on the website. Check out the videos showing how the radiation is shielded. It's all there at waveblock.com. And use that 20% off code, which is midnight. And also check out Blue Cobra CBD. The highest quality CBD oil out there, period. And I'm going to tell you why. So when... CBD is extracted from hemp, which is just cannabis without THC. There are many different methods of extraction. 99% of these methods use chemicals. They use solvents. They use gases. You go to the supermarket. You look at all of these CBD products and they have CO2. You don't know where the CBD is coming from. It could be coming from China and harvested unethically. There's a man. His name is Howard Hitz. His friends call him Big H. He developed a proprietary extraction method, meaning no one else has it but him. It's called the Hit Extraction Method, and it is completely natural. No chemicals. No solvents, no gases are used, period. It's a 100% organic process. All the materials are organic. The hemp that Howard uses for this oil is also 100% organic, Oregon-grown hemp. And literally, this product is unlike any other CBD product you can possibly buy anywhere else. You can only get it on the internet. It is not at any location physically, except for Howard's production facility. You have to purchase it online. People, I'm being 100% honest with you when I'm telling you this. I take it every single day, and it helps me be my best self. And when I say that, that's spiritually, emotionally, and physically. It's so healing and nurturing and satisfies me and heals me on such a core, deep level. It's indescribable. 
I'm getting excited about it because I have to express this to you that it is actually an experience. It is a blue cobra experience. It has made me a better person. I don't know what else to say. I mean, this is real. Howard believes it cured his cancer. He will tell you that I can't say that. I'm not a physician or a doctor and I can't make those claims, but Howard will. And if you call him directly, he will tell you that. And there's the money back guarantee, full money back guarantee. You keep the purchase price money. You keep the shipping money if you had to pay it. And you also keep the product. Please give it to someone else. If you don't like it, I don't know why you wouldn't. That's crazy talk. And guess what, everyone? We have a Blue Cobra CBD Midnight on Earth discount code. It is M-I-D-C-B-D. That's M-I-D-C-B-D. And that gets you free shipping on any order. 10 bottles, 100 bottles, all the different varieties, free shipping. This does not apply, unfortunately, to anyone outside of the continental 48 United States. But it is available for purchase, so... Check into it if you're international or in those other areas that are outside the Continental 48. Topically, internally, you can take this. It's absolutely amazing. There's extra strength King Cobra, regular strength Little King Cobra. There's Blue Cobra for pets called Wild Thing, all available on bluecobracbd.com. And here's the thing. I can't express to you with words, how unique and how powerful this product has been for me personally in my personal life as Jake Weaver, human being on earth with a role currently of podcast host, among other roles. I have been sending Howard messages daily. I have his number. We're close. We're friends. I love the guy. He's an amazing human being. Judy, his family. I'm sending him messages telling him how special this product is and how unbelievably amazing it makes me feel on every possible level. It's the absolute truth, people. So please go check it out. BlueCobraCBD.com. That is BlueCobraCBD.com. And when you're done with that, follow us on Instagram at Midnight underscore on underscore earth. That's the address. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the podcast places. Follow me there. Click the button that connects us so you know exactly what is happening, when it's happening. We're also interconnected with our devices. So your device will give you some really good information about us. As it happens, speed of light, instantaneously, simultaneously, almost. Tell a friend, of course, midnightonearth.com. Okay, now we're going to go to our trivia. And I'm going to tell you a teak story. Before I read his bio, an incredible story. It's about Jake as a child. This is long before Bryn knew me. I was a teenager. And... I was a teenager looking for information, new information, spiritual information. So one day I went to Barnes and Noble, the bookstore, actually coincidentally under the influence, a little stoned. I had smoked uh, some 
amazing organic, hopefully Oregon grown cannabis. And I was feeling very good. And I went into Barnes and Noble. I'm going to say this is 1996. And, and I was looking at spiritual books, new age books, metaphysical books, occult books, all my favorites. And I noticed there was this huge spread of books by this guy, Teak Not Han. It had all these great titles. And, uh, you know, as a teenager, uh, they were like pamphlet style. So they were not as uh, expensive or uh, spendy, as they say in the Northwest. But because of that, it enabled me to afford it. So I bought a book. It's called Being Peace. Now I know it's a classic, but Being Peace by Teak Not Han. Anyways, threw it in my car, you know, on to the next thing. Now, flash forward months later. I have a girlfriend at the time, and I find out, and I was just a teenager. I think I was like maybe just turned 17. And I find out that this person that I had been seeing, I guess my girlfriend at the moment, I guess you could say that, had gone out on a date with another guy. And I was really upset about that as a jealous hormonal teenager with masculine paradigms embedded into him about specific reactions and situations to that. I had uh, got it into my mind that I was going to sit in my car at her house, wait for them to return because she had been picked up in a car. And promptly, you know, beat up the guy. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, uh, uh, physically assault the guy. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's it's this weird territorial kind of paradigm-based reaction system that... Like a it, rooster, maybe, or something? It's very animal-based, <laughs> and it's not... Uh, it's not spiritually functional. We already know that. This is young Jake. You know, just really just cracking, like, right at the beginning. But anyway, so while I was waiting, I remembered that I had a book in my car. Because I was just sitting there. This is before cell phones, before you could just pick up a phone and read your phone for four hours straight and get all kinds of information or listen <laughs> to a podcast. I remembered I had a book in my car, which was Being Peace by Teak Not Han. Well, I started reading. And I started reading. I was reading it. They're deep concepts still embedded in my, my spiritual DNA right now. So I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. Man, hours are going by. They're on a long day. God only knows what is happening. God does know what was happening. <laughs> and actually, I'm over it. I don't care. I just think it's funny. <laughs> but uh, so I'm like pretty much through the book by the time they get back. My frequency had shifted from aggression, upsetment, the potential for physical violence to a frequency of compassion, understanding. The love frequency opened up a little bit or well, a little bit more than where it was at that point. And it stuck with me forever. I think about that book constantly. I've read a lot of his other books, and, uh, but that one specifically really hit me hard. Uh, I remember giving that copy away to a friend uh, years later. But yeah, that's my Teak story. So ever since then, and that was really early for me, 
uh, ever since then, I've always been appreciative of Teak Not Han. I felt like he interjected in my life at that moment to help raise my frequency and potentially keep me out of jail. <laughs> well, I was under 18, so, you know, still big drama, out of trouble, you could big say. headache. Yeah, would not have been good. But uh, that stuck with Over me. And potatoes, I'm sure. There's a huge lesson in that book that a core concept that has stuck with me for all this time it's really just having love compassion and understanding love is just kind of like the standard that's your foundation you're just emitting love you're trying your best to maintain love compassion is looking at the outcome of a certain situation a certain person's behavior however it is and try to disseminate dissect go to the root of where that person's life was to determine what led them to develop their thinking in such a way to react in the way they did and then in that process of dissemination and dissection you start to have compassion because you see that you go back far enough you keep going back keep going back they were just this original little baby full of love consciousness and some would say the original Christ consciousness, Buddha nature, Krishna consciousness, that, that original true raw field of creation, you go back far enough and that is what is there. So you can't judge that. And then you start there and you say, okay, well, this person had this choice that led to this choice that led to this abuse or whatever situation that then led them to be the person they are today which you're either having problems with or not. However, whatever the situation is, but the point is it's having the compassion because then that leads to the understanding. You understand why they are the way they are because you love them. And then you interject compassion into the mix. So love, compassion, understanding. That's a core teak, not Han principle axiom concept. However you want to frame it. That's a core thing that teak, taught me that's my teak not han story <laughs> brindy i mean that's it's kind of funny i think he says i i believe he says that compassion is love in action that there's love but like that like love in action is compassion because that being love is that they go hand in hand that that's it's almost like the verb of love is compassion oh, wow yes yeah and that's uh they're all connected right and when you have compassion you're able to remove yourself and your own attachments and look like you said at that little you know baby puff of love but also just whatever wherever that person is in that moment you're able to see that they're on their own path learning their own lessons having their own growth that has little to do with you. You may be the interface for that, but it isn't necessarily about you. And so you're able to have compassion for just whatever lesson it is that they are bringing up for themselves and however they have to go through it. Um, yes. And sometimes entangles you and then you have to figure out. You know? <laughs> well, there is the entanglement, like you said, of those three concepts. You talk about entanglement. I mean, you can't have compassion without the love you can't have the understanding without the compassion without the love it's just one field there's just kind of coherence points or concentration points however you want to sure. look at it but let's read his bio i guess i should have tried to get him on the show earlier but you know he was in his 90s when he passed away so chances are it would have been rough but now 
he's graduated to the next dimension. So then he qualifies. <laughs> Sounds horrible, but he qualifies to be on the lecture tribute part of Midnight on Earth. I try to just get people that graduated that couldn't actually be a part of the show if I tried to contact them while they were here and we're here together. So here we go. Here's his bio. Teak Not Han, born October 11th, 1926, passed away January 22nd, 2022, was a Vietnamese Tian Buddhist monk, peace activist, prolific author, poet, teacher, and founder of the Plum Village tradition, historically recognized as the main inspiration for engaged Buddhism. Known as the father of mindfulness, Not Han was a major influence on the Western practices of Buddhism. In the mid-1960s, Not Han co-founded the School for Youth for Social Services and created the Order of Interbeing. He was exiled from Vietnam in 1966 after expressing opposition to the war. In 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize. Not Han established dozens of monasteries and practice centers and spent many years living at the Plum Village Monastery, which he founded in 1982 in southwest France near Thanac. Traveling internationally to give retreats and talks, Not Han promoted deep listening as a nonviolent solution to conflict and sought to raise awareness of the interconnectedness of all elements in nature. He coined the term engaged Buddhism in his book, Vietnam, Lotus in a Sea of Fire. Oof. After a 39-year exile, Not Han was permitted to visit Vietnam in 2005. In November 2018, he returned to Vietnam to his root temple, Tu Hu Temple near Hu, where he lived until his death on January 22nd, 2022, at the age of 95. Not Han has published over 130 books, including more than 100 in English, which as of January 2019 have sold over 5 million copies worldwide. His books, which cover topics including spiritual guides and Buddhist texts, teachings on mindfulness, poetry, story collections, and scholarly essays on Zen practice, have been translated into more than 40 languages as of 2022. During his long exile, Not Han's books were often smuggled into Vietnam where they had been banned. Again, Not Han died at his residence in Tu Hu Temple on January 22nd, 2022 at age 95 as a result of complications from his stroke seven years earlier. His death was widely mourned by various Buddhist groups in and outside Vietnam. And that's why we're here too. His five-day funeral, which began on the day of his death, had a seven-day wake that culminated with his cremation on January 29th. In the 2015 book, Not Han described what he wanted for the disposition of his remains. 
in part to illustrate how he believes that he continues on in his teachings. And here is his great quote, a great final quote from Thich Nhat Hanh himself about what to do after he dies. Here we go. I have a disciple in Vietnam who wants to build a stupa for my ashes when I die. He and others want to put a plaque with the words, here lies my beloved teacher. I told them not to waste the temple land. I suggested that if they still insist on building a stupa, they have the plaque say, I am not in here. (laughs) But in case people don't get it, they can add a second plaque. I am not out there either. If still people don't understand, then you can write on the third and last plaque, I may be found in your way of breathing and walking. Wow, cool, huh? What do you think, Britt? I think that's super cool and funny. He has a great sense of humor. Yeah, he, yeah, and he's, you know, he just dedicated his life to his service and wrote it out all the way to the end. And man, I bet he had an incredible graduation experience. He's over in the other dimension having a great time. He did. I saw some of the streams from his uh, service and it was beautiful and elaborate and uh, international. Well, we're going to go into this talk, which coincidentally was on his birthday, 10, 11, 12, 10, 11, 2012. And uh, this is a Dharma talk that he gave called Through the Insight of Interbeing. So this is Teek Nhat Hanh. We're going to listen to this Dharma talk. And as usual, as you know, with our episodes like this, we listen together. We're listening with you in real time, taking notes. And after his Dharma talk is over, we're going to discuss what he talked about, our thoughts, our reflections. And then we end the episode. So <laughs> just to know there's some content afterwards. We hang out. We, re- we reconnect. We're there with you. So there you go. So. Bryn, are you ready for this talk through the insights of interbeing? Yes, I'm super ready. All right. All right, people. Let's buckle up. Here we go. Here is the legendary Teek Nhat Hanh now in another dimension. This is a tribute to him. We're there with him. We love him. We appreciate him. Thank you for your incredible service. Here he is through the insight of interbeing. Good morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, Thursday, the 11th of October, in the year 2012. And we are in the Assembly of Start Meditation Hall, Lower Hamlet of Plum Village. This is our winter, our autumn retreat. The Buddha reminded uh, his disciples that his teaching is about uh, suffering and the transformation of suffering. And he repeated that several times because many students uh, tend to ask him uh, philosophical questions like, uh, is the world finite or infinite? Uh, 
and uh, he said that uh, all these uh, philosophical speculation will will take take uh, all our time, and you don't have time left in order to practice uh, transformation and healing. So he encouraged his disciple not to engage in uh, philosophical uh, speculations. And there were many questions that he refused to answer. It's not because he did not know how to answer, but he did not want to encourage his uh, disciples in that direction. Many European uh, scholars in the field of Indianism have uh, studied Buddhism in the last uh, 100 years. And uh, many of them uh, are, are, were very uh, well versed in Sanskrit, uh, Pali, Tibetan, Chinese, and so on. But most of them misunderstood the Buddha because they had that intention to, to, to find out what is uh, the philosophy, the ideas of the Buddhas in order for them to compare with uh, the thinking, the philosophical thought of the West. They use their intellect only to study Buddhism. They never tried the practice. And uh, although they know that the Buddha discouraged uh, metaphysical speculation, but uh, they didn't follow that advice. They didn't try mindful breathing, mindful walking, uh, practice of mindfulness, uh, uh, practicing the five precepts, ten precepts. They, they did not do these things. And if they do not de- do these things, how could they understand Buddhism? <coughs> because Buddhism is practical. It's not uh, theory. In Kosambi, one day, the Buddha came back from a walking meditation, and he held in his hands a handful of uh, simsapa leaves he picked up from the forest. And he showed it to his monks and said, Dear friends, do you see these uh, simsap leaves? leaves? Yes, we do, teacher. Do you think that the leaves I have in my hand are more numerous or the leaves of simsap in the, in the forest? 
The monk said that, uh, dear teacher, well, you only have a handful of them. In the forest, there are tons and tons of, uh, of, uh, of leaves. The Buddha said, that is true. I know many things, but I only teach you a few things. Because these few things are very crucial for your transformation and healing. That is the story of the Simsa, Simsa Pali. There was one time when a disciple of, of his, uh, whose name is uh, uh, Balunkya Putta, came and asked him philosophical questions. Teacher, you should tell me whether the world is finite or infinite. Who has created this world, and this world is going to to, des- to be destroyed or not? Is the soul is the same thing with the body, or the body is something different, and the soul something different? When a person dies, does he continue, or does or does not continue, and things like that? Teacher, if you don't answer these uh, questions, I'm not satisfied. I will have to leave the order. Because I'm curious about these things. I want to find out. Philosophically minded people. The Buddha told him, Balunkya Putta, when you first came here and practiced as an aspirant for monk. Did I promise you that uh, if you become a monk, I will teach you these kind of things? No, teacher, you did not promise. That's right. I don't promise anyone to teach them philosophy and uh, solve these uh, uh, metaphysical enigmas because uh, what I want is to offer you concrete methods and teaching that help you transform uh, uh, suffering and heal. Suppose someone is hit by an arrow with uh, poisons. And the doctor came and said, let me pull out that uh, arrow and try to get uh, the blood uh, in that space out as quickly as possible. And the wounded person said, no, no, don't do that. You should tell me first, who has shot the arrow? What is his name? What caste he belong? Uh, why did he meet, hit me like that? What intention did he have? Did he have? Malunkya Puta, if uh, he wait until he, uh, these questions are solved, he will, die, he will have died already. So your questions is like that. They are not important. If you spend your time 
try to answer these questions, you will die before you can transform and heal. That is why listen to my teaching and put it into practice right away in order to heal and to transform. That is the story of Malunkya Buddha. And many uh, scholars, many uh, monks of other schools come to the Buddha and ask uh, these questions on, also, and he always remains silent. Because he did not encourage people to indulge themselves into this kind of metaphysical uh, speculation. We come to the Buddha because we have uh, ill being in ourselves. Ill being. We don't feel well in our body. We don't feel well in our heart. We suffer. And we want to know how to transform the suffering in us and to heal the suffering in us. And that is what exactly what the Buddha want to uh, to do, helping people to practice in order to heal and to to transform. And that is why a real, a true disciples of the Buddha should know how to handle a painful feeling how to handle a strong emotion. They should learn that first. The question whether the world is finite or infinite is not so important. The real practitioner has to know how to generate a feeling of joy, of peace, of happiness for her, for her nourishment and healing. <laughs> and the time is for that, not to discuss about metaphysical uh, problems. So somehow we can say that uh, Buddhism is hostile to philosophy. But that does not mean that in Buddhism there is no philosophy. It's very deep. Because uh, when, you, when you practice mindfulness, concentration, insight, you have a very deep view of the world. And you may express your view uh, of the world is very deep, but not in terms of speculation. That is only an expression uh, called uh, right view, right view, insight. That insight can help with transformation and healing. 
So it's not true that in Buddhism there is no philosophy. But that is a philosophy uh, that is a kind of insight that has the power to help with the healing and transformation and not for speculation. One of the one of the insight that belong to that uh, category is that suffering and happiness they have a deep connection with each other. That is a deep vision, the right view, the insight that we need in order to 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 be cap to be able to lead to to practice uh, transformation and healing. And that insight is called interbeing. Sometimes it's called uh, non-self or emptiness. But interbeing may be the easiest uh, way to understand that kind of insight. Interbeing means you cannot be by yourself alone. You have to go be. Interbe with everything else. It's like this sheet of paper. This sheet of paper cannot be by herself alone. When you look into it, you see elements that are not paper. And without these elements, a sheet of paper cannot be there. Like a tree. Looking at uh, the sheet of paper, you don't see a tree. But there is a tree inside. Without a tree, you cannot make uh, paper paste. You see the paper mill, you see the forest, you see the rain that uh, allow the trees to grow, you see the sunshine that help the trees to grow, you see the logger, you see everything in a sheet of paper. So this paper without these non-paper non elements can never be there. So. The paper cannot be by itself alone. It has to in the be with the tree, with the sunshine, with the cloud, with the rain, and so on. That's called interbeing. interbeing. So the word to be that we use in every day can be very misleading. Can you say, I am there? You think that you are, you are there, 
But you cannot be there without, without us, without the trees, without the air, without the sunshine. It's better to say we are there because you carry all of us inside of you. You carry Mother Earth, you carry the sunshine, you carry the rain, everything. So this is not a me, this is a we, we are there. We interact. If we remove the eleven parents, ancestors, food, education, air, water, there is no us left. So we means the whole cosmos. And suppose you look at uh, the sheet of paper, you turn it over and you see that it has two sides. The left and the right. The recto and the verso. And think about the being of uh, the left side. The left side cannot be by itself alone without the right side. The left cannot be by itself alone. The, the left has to interbe at the same time with the right. You cannot take the left out of the right. I cannot ask you to come and bring the left to Paris. And I ca cannot take, ask her to come and bring the right to, uh, uh, to Rome. Because they inter, they inter ah, the, the left and the right, they cannot be by itself. So the left is, that's not correct. The left cannot be by itself. The left must interbeam with the right. Wherever the left is, the right is also. So if uh, politically you are on the left, don't wish for the right to disappear. Because if the right disappears, the left disappears at the same time. That is the teaching of interbeing. That is a kind of philosophy, but not for the sake of speculation. This is a seen by deep observation, by meditation. And in this case, we know that suffering and happiness, they are the same. One cannot be with the other. So if you have a wish that you only want to retain happiness, you don't want any suffering, that is not possible. And our idea of uh, paradise, our idea of the kingdom of God is very naive. We think over there, up there, there is no suffering. There is only happiness. 
it's like, uh, well, there is a sheet of paper that he has only the right side, you know, left side. It's not possible. It is with uh, suffering, the element of suffering that we can make happiness. It is like uh, the mud and the lotus. And if you have it inside, and then looking into the lotus flower, you see the mud inside. Like when you look at the sheet of paper, you see the tree inside. The tree is not apparent, but it is there. If you remove the tree from the paper, the paper collapses. There's interbeing. There's free philosophy also, but uh, practical, very deep, very uh, useful. So it's not true to say that there is no philosophy in Buddhism. Philosophy in Buddhism, that is the insight, the deep vision that you get with meditation. And that's called a prajna. Prajna is insight that you obtain from the practice of mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness, concentration, bring insight. An insight that has the power to liberate you from ignorance. When you say, in paradise, in the kingdom of God, there is no suffering, that is ignorance. That is naive, because happiness can never be by itself alone. Like the flower, lotus flower, cannot be by herself alone. There should be the, the mud in order for a lotus bit to be. So I have a better definition of uh, paradise, of the kingdom of God. In Buddhism, we don't speak of God and the kingdom of God. That does not mean that we deny God, we deny the kingdom of God. In Buddhism, we speak of the, the, the pure land of the Buddha, the land of bliss, We know that uh, true happiness is made of understanding and love. Imagine a person who does not have understanding. He does not understand anything. How, how can he love? When you don't understand yourself, when you don't understand the other person, how can you love yourself and to love him or her? Every one of us needs to be understood. That those of us who complain that no one in this world understands him or her, 
very lonely. So if we have a chance to meet a person who can understand you deeply, you are a lucky person. And you feel grateful to him or to her because that is a person who has the capacity to understand you. I know a young man in California. He lives with his mother. He got graduated from a very famous university. Very intelligent, very handsome, has a good job, good salary. He had, he had, he had so many girlfriends, many of them very pretty. And uh, his mother observed and he saw, saw him swiftly. Uh, uh, interested in one of these girlfriends. But for her, that is not the most beautiful uh, 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 lady. Mm. And uh, he spent time more with her. And he seemed to be appreciating her very much. And her mother was surprised that that young lady, she's not the best, uh, judging on the uh, <laughs> aspect of uh, uh, beauty and, and so. So one day he could not resist. He said, my son, I see that you have so many pretty friends, but why? Are you interested only in that one? That one, to me, is not the best. <laughs> and the young man, in the, in the first, uh, first, this young man did not know how to answer. And when she asked it for the second time, he found the answer. He said, Mother, because she understands me. Because she understands me. I am a scientist, but I love to write poetry. But when I read my poetry, all the other girls girl did not seem to, to be interested very much, but she listened very deeply, and she know, she know how to appreciate my poetry. And when I say something, she listened with all her attention. I say one thing, she understands two things. <laughs> so all of us need to be understood. And those who understand us, we are grateful for them. Especially when someone understands your suffering. Every one of us has suffering inside. And if someone understands, recognize suffering in us, and know how to help us to suffer less, 
we are very, very grateful to him or to her. We, are, we feel being loved by that person. A person who has no understanding uh, cannot love. Cannot love. They may have passion, craving, but not love. Love is made of understanding. So if in the world you have one person who can understand you, especially your suffering, your difficulties, your despair, and then you are a very lucky person already. There are those of us who go and look for, search for such a person but never met. But as we practice and observe, we see that if you understand your own suffering, if you look at your suffering, if you know how to hold your suffering and listen to it and look deeply into, into it, you'll find out the roots the nature of your suffering. And that kind of understanding brings you relief right away. And when you have understood your suffering, you suffer much less. Because the understanding of suffering shows you the way to transform that suffering. If you do not understand suffering, you don't know how to transform it. It's like a doctor. Before the doctor see the nature of the illness in the patient, he cannot do anything to help him. So understanding the disease, the cause of the disease, is crucial for the doctor to prescribe a kind of practice or medicine that can heal. The same thing is true here. If you have a chance to go back to yourself and listen to the suffering inside and try to understand the nature of that suffering, suddenly you see the way out. And just to see the way out, you suffer less right away. You see the path that leads to this transformation and, and cessation of the suffering. You suffer less right away, even before you practice. Just see the path, see the way, make you suffer, because you are lucky if you, you see the path the spiritual path that leads you to the cessation of your suffering, that leads you to the 
transformation of suffering. We suffer because we are in the dark. We suffer, but we don't know why we suffer. And the nature of suffering. So if we know how to understand, to listen to our suffering, the path will be revealed to us. And at that moment, you suffer less right away, much less, even if you have not taken the first step on that path. And when you have understood your own suffering, it's much easier to see and understand the suffering of the other person. It means that before you can understand someone else, you have to understand yourself. That insight is not confined to Buddhism, to the Buddha. Many sages, many wise people in the world know that. Connect to Atomen. Understand yourself. Understand yourself. First of all, understand your suffering. Because your suffering carries within us, within it, the suffering of your father. Your suffering is also the suffering of your father. Your father had that suffering, but he did not know how to transform it, so he transmitted it to you. Your suffering carries within itself the suffering of your mother, of your ancestors. So understand your own suffering, you understand the suffering of your father, your mother, and your ancestors. That is the teaching of the Buddha. And, and your suffering also reflects the suffering of your partner, of uh, the world. So understanding suffering is the first step. And that is why the first Dhamma talk given by, by the Buddha is about the Four Noble Truths. The first one is suffering, and the second one is the nature, the roots of our suffering. It's very practical. Right away in the first Dhamma talk, Dukkha is suffering. Dukkha is ill-being. In Chinese, the word suffering also means bitterness. And the second noble truth is uh, the making of suffering. how suffering has come to be.
the roots of suffering, the nature of suffering. Suppose you have a depression. A depression is the first noble truth. If you have a depression, you should recognize that there is a depression. You cannot say, I do not have a depression. When you do have a depression, when you have an illness, you have ill being suffering in you, the first thing you should do is to recognize, to admit that you have the suffering. You have to know that I have a depression. A depression has come to be in me. Accepting the first truth is the first step. If you suffer and if you try to say that, no, I have no suffering, <laughs> you have no chance in order to transform. So the first thing is to acknowledge the fact that you have suffering. And who among us does not have suffering? So you have to, to confirm the existence, the presence of suffering in us. Suppose there is a depression, we have to say, there is a depression. A depression has come to settle in. That's the first step of the practice. The second step of practice is to have the courage to look, to listen, to embrace it. The courage is to recognize it as something existing. The courage is to go back to it and take care of it and listen to it and embrace it in order to understand the nature of that suffering. Because everything has causes. What has come to be should be should have been brought by something. So looking deeply into the nature of the depression, we see the the roots, the cause the kind of nutriment that he have used in order to feed, to nourish our depression. The Buddha said this, nothing can survive without food. It's very clear. Your happiness, your love needs food in order to survive. Your love might be beautiful, but if you don't know how to feed it, it will die. It may last six months or one year, and then it turns to be something else. 
so love needs food in order to survive. And those who love each other should know how to feed their love. The kind of uh, food they can help the that love uh, last long, longer and longer. A thought that you produce, a word that you say, an action that you do, may be the kind of nutriment in order to help your love uh, grow and last, or may, or may cause your love to to get thinner. To to, to diminish. So, suffering is the same. If your suffering is increasing every day, because you keep feeding them by your way of living, or daily living. If your depression refuses to go, because you keep feeding your depression, Everything you see, everything you listen, everything you consume in your daily life may be feeding your depression. So look into your depression and find out the roots and the nutrients, the food that you have used to feed it. And when you have identified the kind of food that you have used to feed your depression, you have enlightenment. And you need only to cut off the source of nutriment. You deprive your depression of food, and your depression will have to die in a few weeks. Nothing can survive without food. That is the statement made by the Buddha. And the second noble truth can be described as in terms of food, in terms of nutriment. If your relationship has become difficult, impossible, because you have you have not nourished your relationship with the right kind of food. You have used poisons in order to nourish that relationship. But uh, the kind of thought you produce, the kind of words you utter, the kind of action you perform. So meditation is to look into the nature of your suffering, to find out the source of nutriment that has uh, brought it to you, so that you can see the path that leads to the cessation of the suffering.
so this is uh, the roots of ill-being. The making, the accumulation. The making of suffering. But many of us do not want to practice the second noble truth. We think that uh, we don't like to do so. We don't want to come home to us and get in touch with the suffering and listen to it and look into it to find out how and why it has come to us. Because we don't think that it as something pleasant. So most of us do the opposite. We try to run away from our suffering. We make it, we, we make it sound like we don't suffer. And you, you try to run away. You don't want to go home and encounter the suffering inside. Because you are afraid that if you come home and touch the suffering, it will overwhelm you. And it's, uh, that is why most of us in society try to run away. And to cover up, to dissimulate, to pretend that it's not there. There is no suffering. We pretend that everything is all right. We try to deceive us, and we try to deceive other people that we are okay, there is nothing wrong in us. But in fact, there may be a very deep block of suffering inside. So the Buddha recommended we should not practice that. Because many of us try to, to cover up the suffering by the way of consumption. If you turn on the television, it's not exactly because there is an interesting pro program that you can watch and you can enjoy, you can learn. Sometimes the TV program is not good at all. And yet you don't have the courage to turn it off. Because if you turn it off, you have to go back to yourself. And many of us who are not hungry, who do not have the, the need to eat, and yet we go and open the refrigerator and take out something to eat. We eat not because we are unhungry. We eat because we, we want to, to use the eating and not to forget that some, something is painful here. And we take our car and go out 
we talk on the, on telephone, we do everything in order not to be to have to go back to ourselves, in order to to touch the suffering inside. This is the opposite of the practice, because you are afraid of being in touch with your suffering. And the method of the Buddha is that you should train yourself in the practice of mindfulness, of breathing, of sitting, of uh, walking, of driving. Because when you practice mindful breathing, mindful uh, walking, you generate an energy. The energy that can help you strong. And when you go back to yourself with that energy, you are stronger. Because that energy helps you to recognize suffering, helps you to embrace your suffering, and to listen to it. Without mindfulness, you are only a... um, uh, passive, you are only a passive entity. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be victim of the suffering. But with mindfulness, with energy of mindfulness, you can be active. Because with, our, with mindfulness, you have the strength to recognize suffering. Hello there, my despair. I know you are there. I will take care of you. I am back for you. I am here for you. That is the voice of mindfulness. Hello there, I know you are there. Hello my my little anger, my little despair, I know you are there. I am coming back to you and take care of you. That is the, the work of mindfulness. And if you don't practice mindful walking, mindful sitting, mindful uh, breathing, you don't have that mindful, that energy. That is why Buddhist meditation begins with mindfulness. And mindfulness is the kind of energy that everyone can generate by the practice. When you walk, from your living quarter to the meditation hall. Walk in such a way that every step helps generate the energy of mindfulness, or mindfulness of walking. When you wash your dishes, don't think of anything else. Just focus your attention on dishwashing. Enjoy dishwashing and breathing generating the energy of mindfulness. And in Plum Village, we do like that. We do everything in mindfulness. We eat in mindfulness. We cook in mindfulness. We clean in mindfulness. Because that energy of mindfulness is uh, the energy that can heal, that can transform. 
So with mindfulness, you can go home to yourself without fear. With mindfulness, you can say, Hello, my despair. Hello, my anger. I know you are there. I will take good care of you. And even and with that same energy of mindfulness, you can embrace tenderly your, your pain, your sorrow, and listen to it. It's like a mother holding her ailing baby and listen to the baby. Why the baby suffer like that? So your suffering is your baby. And the mother does not know what is wrong with the baby yet. But the fact that she is holding the baby with tenderness can help the baby suffer less right away. So with mindfulness, you are holding your suffering. You have not seen really the roots of, of that suffering. But the fact that you are there for your suffering, holding it tenderly, not trying to run away from it, can already bring some relief and you suffer less. Sitting or walking or embracing tenderly your, your suffering can already bring a relief. And if you are sitting in a group of people who are capable of generating mindfulness, you can make good use of that collective energy of mindfulness in order to recognize and embrace the pain in you. It's like a drop of water in a river. She allow the whole river to embrace her, to carry her, to guide her. So sitting in a Sangha, in a group of brothers and sisters in the practice, you say, Dear brothers and sisters, here is my pain. Here is my despair. Help me embrace this, because I am only a beginner in the practice. So you open your heart and allow the collective energy of the Sangha to recognize and embrace your pain. And if you do that in a few minutes, you suffer less. You get a relief. And that is what we call taking refuge in the Sangha. Trust the Sangha. Like a drop of water, trusting the, trust the river. It's easier to practice with a community. Community is a Jew, one of the three Jews. Buddha is a Jew, Dharma is a Jew, Sangha is a Jew. And Sangha is very concrete. The Sangha is made of practitioners. Members of the Sangha are capable of generating mindfulness, concentration, and insight. So Sangha is carrying also the Dharma. A true Sangha has the true Dharma in it. And where 
There is the Dharma, the Buddha is there also. So the Sangha carried it in, in herself, the Dharma and the Buddha. Don't look for the Buddha in the temple or in the sky. The Buddha is in the Sangha actually. Because the Sangha knows how to generate mindfulness, concentration and insight. A Buddha is someone inhabited by these kind of energies. And we are all capable of generating, generating these three kinds of energies. We are a Buddha to be. Mindfulness also carries within itself the energy of concentration. Together, mindfulness and concentration can bring insight that has the power to bring relief. The practice of concentration can be very powerful it can allow us to gain the kind of insight that can, that can liberate us. We don't need to change the environment in order to be happy. If we get the insight, we have another way of looking. and we don't suffer anymore. So please don't think that uh, unless you change the environment, you change part the partner, you cannot be happy. Don't think like that. You suffer because of your way of looking at things. You suffer because you don't have enough insight. And insight is uh, obtained by the practice of mindfulness and concentration. And insight is something very concrete. It's like uh, the left side of the sheet of paper and the right side. The left cannot be without the right. If you think that uh, happiness is an individual matter, you are wrong. The father cannot be truly happy if the son suffers deeply. The son cannot look for individual happiness when his father suffers deeply. So happiness is not an individual thing. 
if you can make your father suffer less, you suffer less. So that is the insight of interbeing. The insight of interbeing is that you are in your father, and your father is in you. And there are young people who say, who are so angry at their father, and who say, I don't want to have anything to do with that person, namely, he, their father. It's nonsense. If was looking into the sun, you see the father. The, his father is there in every cell of his body. And how he can say, I don't want to have anything to do with, my, with him anymore. You cannot take your father out of you. It's like you cannot take the tree out of the sheet of paper. So when the father sees him in the sun, and the son sees him in the father, they got the inside of interbeing. They know that making each other suffer is something stupid. Helping him to suffer less, you suffer less. Anything you do for yourself to suffer less, you do for him. So that is the insight you get by mindfulness and concentration. So many of us believe that unless we divorce, unless we change the environment, we cannot be happy. Unless we go to another place. We cannot be happy. In this teaching, you only need to change your way of, of, of seeing things by getting the insight. And when you get the insight, you don't suffer anymore. This is salvation, not by grace, but by, by insight. In the beginning of this talk, they has said that uh, they said that uh, when you have understood your own suffering and suffer less, you are capable of seeing the suffering in the other person more, much more easily. Before that. You believe that you are the only one who suffers. That person only makes you suffer. He does not suffer. But now, since you have mindfulness and concentration that help you to understand your own suffering, you know that suffering is made mainly by ourselves. And you see the other person, you see the suffering in him, the difficulties in him, the despair in him.
you see that uh, that person has so much suffering in him, and he does not know how to handle the suffering, transform the suffering. So he continues to be to be victim of that suffering. And since he does not know how to handle suffering, he continues to suffer, and he continues to make uh, people around him suffer. His suffering is spilling over around him. He is the first victim of his suffering, and you are only a second victim. And maybe he did not want you to suffer. It's not intention to make you suffer, because he does not know how to handle suffering. And that is why you have to suffer with him. So that is the kind of insight you get when you look at the other person. And when you have seen that the person has a lot of suffering, difficulties, unable to handle the suffering and difficulties, you know that that person needs help and does not need punishment. And you may think that you can help him. Uh you want to say something or to do something to help him suffer less. It means that you have understood and that understanding has given rise to compassion. So the same person, but you don't suffer anymore. You don't deal with that person with anger and despair anymore. But you see hope, you see love. You think that if you divorce, and then the problem will no longer be there. That's not true. You have been with him or with her quite a few years already. And now he is in you, even if the paper has been signed. You cannot get him out of you. He will be with you for all your life. She will be with you for all her life. So the only way is to practice in order to transform you and transform him in you. And if you are transformed, if you get light, liberated, you can help the other person transform and get light. And you don't have to change anything. You don't have to change partner. You don't have to change environment. You have to change your way of looking at things. And you do that only when you have insight. And insight is got by the practice of mindfulness, concentration. And since you have suffered, you have the mud. And if you know how to make good use of the mud, you can grow beautiful lotus flowers. The suffering plays a certain role in making happiness. If there is no suffering, 
how can understanding arise? And how can compassion arise? And understanding and compassion are the foundation of happiness. And you know that in order to create understanding and compassion, you need a substance that is suffering. So to practice, a good practitioner is someone who who knows how to make good use of suffering in order to create understanding and compassion. And you don't have to, to produce more suffering. There are enough, more than enough suffering already. So the problem is how to make good use of it. She agrees with me. <laughs> so my definition of the kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering. The kingdom of God is a place where people know how to make good use of suffering in order to, to create understanding and, and compassion and love. I am sure I am. More than convinced, I see very clearly that there is suffering in the kingdom of God. If there is no suffering, you have no way to create understanding and compassion. Suffering is very useful. And we can speak about the goodness of suffering. Le bienfait de la souffrance. If you don't have the mud, you can never make lotus flowers. If you have no suffering, you can never create happiness and joy. And that is the insight into being. So in the beginning of the talk, they said that a good practitioner is someone who knows how to generate joy and happiness and someone who knows how to handle and transform suffering. And these two things together, go together. And this practice helps the other practice. If you know how to handle suffering, it's easier for you to produce joy and happiness. If you know how to produce joy and happiness, it's easier for you to handle suffering. Right and the left, they lean on each other's. They support each other's. They are not enemies. Suffering is not enemy. It may be your ally. So the fifth exercise of mindfulness breathing is to generate Joy. 
The sixth is to generate happiness. And if we are a practitioner, we should learn how to do that. A good practitioner can generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness, whenever she wants. For them and for the other person. But the how is very clear. The practice of mindfulness helps us to bring our mind home to our body. Remember the last Dhamma talk? And when mind and body are together, you are fully present in the here and the now. In our daily life, your mind and your body are very often apart. Remember the computer. You spend two hours with your computer. You left your body. You forget that you have a body. So when mind and body are together, you enjoy breathing in, breathing out. You are established in the here and now. You see your body as a wonder. You see the sunshine, the rain, the trees, the hills as wonders. You know that you are healthy enough. Your eyes are still clear, in good condition. Your heart still pumping the blood well. You have feet strong enough to walk, to run. You have the good air to breathe. There are so many conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. So getting in touch with these elements of hap- uh, elements that are uh, refresh, uh, uh, refreshing and healing and nourishing, you generate feeling of joy. Many of us have plenty of conditions of happiness available in the here and the now. But we are carried away by a feeling of anger, fear, and we ignore everything. We step on these conditions of happiness. We are wasting. So mindfulness helps us to recognize these conditions of happiness. And when we are in touch, a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness arise very easily. Last time, they talk about opening the water tap with mindfulness. With mindfulness, you see that the water has come from up in the mountain, down on the earth, come to your kitchen, and uh, allow this fresh water to, 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 to flow on your fingers can be a happy, can be a happy moment. 
It's a wonder. There's people in the world who have to go five kilometers to fetch some water and not of a good quality. We are very lucky. Even if we have just lost our job, but we are still much luckier than so many people. So recognizing that we are lucky, that we still have plenty of conditions of happiness that can give rise to a joyful feeling, a feeling of gratitude, a feeling of happiness. You remind yourself with mindfulness and you remind of the other person that both of you are lucky. Before eating your breakfast, look at the other person and say, Darling, don't you think you are lucky? We have a roof to live under. We have something for breakfast. We are still together. We remind ourselves and we remind others there is no war going on around here. And if you have suffered in the past, bring that suffering back into the present moment in order to compare. And against the background of suffering, happiness will stand out very clearly. You know that during the war in Vietnam, you hear the sound of the, the guns day and night. And your wish is that you can sleep better without the sound of the guns. But here, there's no sound of guns at night. You have peace. Our workers in the School of Youth for Social Service in Vietnam, young monks and nuns and lay people, we have built, rebuilt many villages that have been destroyed by the bombing. The war in, the war in Vietnam lasted 30 years. The, the, the first part of it was uh, waged by the French uh, army from 1945. And then long after that, the French did not have enough money to continue the war. So Americans were financing the war in Vietnam out of fear of communism. And thinking that if Vietnam fall into communism and then all the countries of Southeast Asia will follow in the, in the theory of uh, dominoes. So fear is at the foundation of the action. So millions of people were killed. Many French soldiers died in Vietnam. Many American soldiers died in Vietnam. And we lost about six million people in the war. 
and our social workers work in that uh, difficult situation. There was a village which was bombarded by the American. The village is uh, situated near the demilitarized zone in the village in Talok. That zone separated the north and the south. And our workers received the order to rebuild that village. And then it was bombarded again for the second time. And local workers, monks, nuns, and others asked whether they should rebuild the village of Talak. We said, yes, we have to rebuild. In the province of Kwangti, near the 17th uh, parallel, Talak. Then it was bombarded for the third time. (coughs) Then we met at the headquarters of the School of Youth for Social Service. And after debate, we said, review it again, third time. (coughs) And it was bombarded again for the fourth time. The problem is not the materials in order to rebuild. The problem is whether we have to give up or to continue. What is the use of building in order to be destroyed? That is the question asked by many people. But psychologically, if you give up, and then despair will overwhelm. And despair is the worst thing that can happen to a human being. So if we gave the order to build it for the fourth time, you know, we rebuild it five times. We rebuild it because we don't want people to be victims of despair. Not because uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, we, we have enough uh, materials and money in order to do that. That is a psychological problem. And when people overwhelmed with despair. That's the the form of suffering that is uh, most difficult, the kind of suffering that is most difficult to bear. And I remember many young people came to me and asked, Thay, 
Do you, do you think that the war is going to end soon? That was about 20 years after the war started. People die every day, every night. And in our school of youth for social service, we went to rescue people, to help the wounded people, to bring relief, to, re- to, uh, to, to organize uh, 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 refugee, refugee camps. War refugees camp. And many of us, including monastics, die during the operation. Dear Thay, it was a group of uh, students from many faculties of the University of Saigon who came and asked Thay, do you think that the war will end soon? Is there any hope? More than 20 years already. It's a very difficult question to answer. They did not see any hope. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. But how can they say there is no hope? They will destroy them. They will crush them, the young people. So after having breathed in and out a few times, they said, my dear friends, the Buddha said, everything is impermanent. The war also should be impermanent. The war has to end someday. So let us continue. So, as far as uh, the global warming is concerned. Many of us are about to fall into despair. We have not seen any sign of the... But if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by despair, we lose our lucidity, lose our hope, and we get the situation worse very quickly. That's why we have to practice in order to get that kind of insight that can help us prevent despair to descend, to, 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 to allow us uh, to continue with uh, clarity and non-fear. So, Generating joy and happiness is what the Buddha said that we should do. Using mindfulness in order to create 
a feeling of joy and happiness, because all of us need to be nourished. And joy and happiness can be possible in a difficult situation also. And that is why during the war our workers continue the practice. The practice of mindfulness allows us to get in touch with the, the good things so that we can get the nourishment and the healing to continue. We have to invent joy and happiness in order to survive. Suppose you have a beautiful garden. When you have 30 beautiful trees. And if uh, five of the trees in, the, in your garden just fall down, very beautiful trees, and you are sad, and you may be possessed by that kind of sadness, and you are no longer able to enjoy your garden. But in the garden there are another 20 trees that are still beautiful, vigorous. So it's not because a number of trees have died that you stop enjoying the trees. So suffering and happiness happen at the same time in every one of us. Not because we have some suffering that we do not have the capacity to enjoy the other part that is non-suffering. And that is why even in the most desperate situation you have to preserve yourself by generating moments of joy and happiness together. Suppose you are having, you have something, you are having lunch on the table. There is an orange, there is a, a squash, is the rice, is the vegetables. And even if uh, if we just get some some bad news, we should try to eat our lunch in such a way that we can get the nourishment and healing during eating. It's possible to pick up a fruit. vegetable and see that this is uh, a gift of Mother Earth. We still have love. So if you are able to enjoy your lunch, your eating with mindfulness, if you can appreciate the fact that uh, you are still together, you are still a family, you are still 
I send to share along together. That is the po- positive things. Even in a difficult situation, we still have to be able to generate a feeling of gratitude, of joy, of happiness to nourish us. And then if you are nourished like that, you are stronger in order to to handle the situation of suffering. So in order to transform and heal, you need uh, nourishment. It's like a person who is about to undergo surgery. And if the doctor judge that this person is too weak in order to go to the operation, and then he will give the order to postpone the, the surgery and to help that person get a little bit stronger in order to be able to resist, to, to stand on the surgery. So it's the same. We have a block of pain. We, we may think that unless I take out this block of pain, I cannot enjoy life. And that is not the best way of thinking. Even if there are trees that have died, there are still many trees that are alive. And you should be able to sit under the beautiful trees and say that we still have beautiful trees. And if you know how to enjoy the beautiful trees, you have more strength in order to rebuild or replant the other trees. So the, the practice of generating joy and happiness help you in the practice of handling suffering. So a good practitioner should know how to generate a feeling of joy and happiness by touching the good things, the positive things, the things that are nourishing and healing us, that are still available. And that is the work of mindfulness. Mindfulness allowed us to recognize these things as available. And mindfulness helps you to remind the other person, dear one, we are still very lucky. Let us be thankful so that we are strong enough in order to to handle the difficulties that we have ahead. And the the seventh exercise of mindful breathing is to is to recognize pain, ill being. Have the courage to acknowledge the fact that there is suffering in me. To come home with mindfulness in order to recognize and to embrace, not to suppress. The mother does not suppress her baby. The mother acknowledges the baby 
see the baby, suffering of the baby, pick up the baby, and hold the baby in tenderness. That is what a good practitioner will do. Go home to your baby, suffering baby. Be there for your baby. Embrace it tenderly and get a relief. You cannot do that, this unless you have the energy of mindfulness. That is why while walking from your tent to the meditation hall, don't talk. Don't think. Walk in such a way that every step generates mindfulness. Every step brings the joy bring the happiness of being alive, touching the wonders of life, that helps the healing. You nourish yourself by that. So in our walking meditation, we stop the thinking. The thinking takes us away from the here and the now. We just feel. We just touch, feel the, the contact between our feet and Mother Earth. Allow Mother Earth to heal you. Allow the wonders of life to penetrate your body. And trust, trust Mother Earth as a source of healing. You breathe in the air, the air can be healing. You get, uh, you allow the beautiful uh, uh, green color to penetrate into your mind or body. That's healing. Every step can be healing. Every breath can be healing. And Mother Earth is not only around you, it is, she is inside of you. Allow her to heal you. Because Mother Earth is uh, a most beautiful bodhisattva, beautiful mother of all of us, mother of Buddhas, bodhisattvas, and saints. She has brought us to life and she will receive us back and bring us to life again and again. We have to trust. Mother Earth is not the environment. Mother Earth is us. Is a a being, a great being, Maha Sattva. And the eight exercise of mindful breathing is uh, calming, calming the pain. Whether that pain is a a painful feeling, a difficult, uh, uh, unpleasant feeling, 
are a strong emotion like fear, anger, despair. We have to go home and take care of that. And with the energy of mindfulness. So in our daily life, everything we do, every minute we live, can be used not to generate the energy of mindfulness. Even when you brush your teeth, brush them in mindfulness and enjoy the time of toothbrushing. It can bring you happiness. Many ways of uh, generating joy and happiness with mindfulness, including the practice of uh, selective watering. You have a seat of joy, memory of happiness, a seat of love, a seat of understanding in you. And the other person also has many good seeds in him or in her. She has uh, talents. She has uh, tolerance. She is capable of forgiving. And you also have these good things. So recognize these things and allow them to manifest. Say something, listen to something, in order to allow the good things in us to manifest. When you listen to a Dhamma talk, the Dhamma talk is a kind of rain penetrating into the soil of your Consciousness. In, in the soil of your consciousness, there is a seed of love, the seed of uh, understanding, there's a seed of mindfulness, there's a seed of peace, there's a seed of compassion. And if you allow the rain of the Dhamma talk to penetrate deep into the soil of your, of, of your consciousness, and then these uh, seeds will sprout, and that gives you joy and happiness. You can read a book. You can uh, listen to a good conversation that has the power to, to recognize and water the good seeds so that they can come up and joy and happiness become a reality. And you can water the soil of mind of the other person. He, she has many good things. Don't water the seed of anger, fear, 
jealousy in him or in her. Water the seed of understanding, compassion, joy. And you see that that person uh, can be joyful and happy right away. It does not take time. Very quick. That is the, the practice of selective watering. You water only the good seeds in you and in the other person. You acknowledge the talent, the virtue to that person. You say that you are grateful for that. You create happiness and joy right away. The many ways of, uh, of producing joy and happiness. And there are also many ways of uh, to handle the pain. Maybe the first is to just recognize the pain and not exaggerate. You saw sometimes you have you you have something that disturb you in your body or in your mind, and you suffer. And in in that moment, you allow suffering to overwhelm you, and you forget all about the good things. That is not a good thing to do. Recognizing that there are a number of trees that are dying, but you remember that there are many things that are still alive and beautiful. That is the truth. And then, do not exaggerate. If you have something that seems to be wrong in your body, don't panic. Don't think that you are going to die very soon. And this the Buddha taught us. If you have a pain in your body, if you have some pain in your mind, just recognize it as it is and do not exaggerate. And he gave the example of someone who is struck by an arrow. You are struck by an arrow and you suffer. But if uh, a second arrow comes and strikes you exactly at the same spot, the pain will not only be double, but maybe ten times more painful. So if you allow your anger your despair, your fear to come just because of that minor pain in your body and in your mind and then you suffer ten times, one time more. So that is the practice of simple recognition, mere recognition. If there is a minor pain, you know that it is a a minor pain. If needed, you need a doctor, you need a friend to look with you so that you can recognize the pain as it is and do not exaggerate. If you exaggerate by 
you amplify the pain by 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 imagination. You are you think you are going to die very soon. You think that is a cancer. If uh, you if you get angry at it, if you worry too much, and then you amplify the suffering. So the first thing the Buddha recognized is to, the Buddha said is to recognize the pain at his ease and do not exaggerate. It means do not allow the second arrow to come. And sometimes the second arrow comes from another person. <laughs> he, she worry too much. And that makes you worry also. And we're back, people. That was an incredible swath of time. It was teak not on time. And it was incredible. That was such a long stretch. And there was so much quality teak not han in there that it was just amazing i'm glad i chose this he he might have been feeling fired up because like i said it was his birthday that year around 10 years ago uh which i believe took place around his uh 85th birthday 84th birthday into 85 somewhere around there because he passed at 95 he didn't actually make it to his uh birthday in october but that might have been why he was fired up he was dropping knowledge all over the place and i'm glad you got to experience his energy his vibe hear his voice i know that his english is a little soft at times uh but obviously it's not his first language so you know you just got to really be grateful for what we have and we have these recordings. There's hundreds of recordings actually at Plum Village that feature Teak Not Han. So he's still out there teaching and he's a guest on the show. Bryn, what did you think about that? Bryn has some notes, everyone. <laughs> she has a lot of notes. And she's going to keep going. She's going to tell us what she wrote down. W- what happens, Bryn? What happens, <laughs> Bryn? Or what happened there, Rick? What happened? I don't need to read you all my notes, but uh, usually I get to the end and it's all chicken scratch. I'm just uh, writing as I go. No, that was timeless. I feel like we dropped into the Teak Not Han frequency, which to me is like he has so many universal truths. It's not even about Buddhism or Eastern or Western tradition or anything. It just really comes down to so many universal truths that all all different manner of traditions and keepers of wisdom and bringers of the light have to say it's, it's all in there in their unique way. So, um, but I really love his gentle manner and his little stories and his way of making the, the simple things profound because they are. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I, I have a few points. I don't know if you want me to keep rambling or if you want to say some things. Well, one thing I did find interesting that he uh, pointed out was that metaphysical speculation was not really a big thing in Buddhism. Well, sorry, Buddha, I like 
metaphysical speculation. <laughs> I enjoy philosophy. But you just don't get <laughs> obsess or get hung up about it. You just don't obsess over it. Right. That's really the issue, I would say. Right. Well, I think like in our, you know, Western traditions, philosophy is a huge piece. And so I think for us to even hear that, there's this instant wrestling with like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, what do you mean not philosophizing? And I think really what he's speaking to he says there's plenty of philosophy in Buddhism that it's practical philosophy. If we get lost in the cosmos and the stars and we forget to ever wash the dishes or pay the electricity bill, that's not really going to work out so well. It doesn't really matter what you think about the cosmos if, you know, your water is shut off or your, you know, dishes are festering. So it's just more about that being practical and and being able to to manage that going all the way out to the depths of the cosmos and then also coming back down with your feet firmly planted on the earth. There has to be a little bit of balance. That's right. And Buddhism is that balance. I think if you think of all the traditions and philosophies, that's that taking your head out of the clouds piece of the counterbalance. But we talk about this concept of heaven on earth on midnight on earth a lot. The, uh, just the United earth. And he was talking about the pure land of the Buddha and he talked mm-hmm. about suffering. He was saying how happiness cannot be alone and it needs some degree of suffering. Well, that's true, but how we define that suffering is really how we escape the conflict, escape the uh, degradation and just deprivation of the, the lowest forms of human behavior is that we allow the suffering to exist, but how we define the suffering in order to coexist with the happiness to be the other side is really where the shift happens. And we talk about bodhisattvas a lot on the show. And of course he mentioned that our great mother earth is a bodhisattva always giving, always coming back to do its best to provide in a service for all beings to evolve and ascend the ultimate bodhisattva in a way. The matasattva, he said, the great, the greatest being that the super duper, the super mana. duper <laughs> mother of all sattvas. That's right. No, but okay. I think that's so essential that the earth is a living being on her own. And there's this endless life force and the light of nature that, you know, we're that little piece of that we can always look to for that glint of joy or hope, you know, when we're on our path of you know, whatever suffering we're on. Right. And, and he mentioned that uh, salvation can be found by insight. You know, that's really huge because essentially what he's suggesting and what Buddhism suggests, because there was so much Buddhism, there was so much Buddha in there. You talk about Teak and then the interbeing of everything being connected. So in a sense, the Buddha was coming through Teak to come through the show. There's the, the interbeing right there. Something that really caught my attention was when he was talking about enlightenment. And when we think of enlightenment, it's often this big mountain, like someone becoming enlightened is this, you know, big thing that you've climbed this big mountain. You've worked your whole life to, you know, go through all of this understanding and insight. But he said that when you discover the source of your suffering and what you're feeding it, 
that itself is enlightenment. And it just made me think about, you know, all the little microcosms in the macrocosm that just that one piece right there, that's a tiny enlightenment. And that tiny enlightenment sets you on a path to the next enlightenment and the next enlightenment. And all of that builds to grow that light, um, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Everything needs food. And if you don't feed something, it dies. I thought that was really interesting. I love that. Including the depression, the suffering, the love, all the above. It needs food, just like anything. It's like a natural law. Food shows up in all these different ways. Photosynthesis, if you just think about nourishment, everything needs nourishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what you feed grows. So if you feed your fear, if you feed your anger, if you feed your scarcity, if you feed any of those things, that's what grows. And so to be careful about what you feed. Yes, that's huge words and actually a great way to close this really long episode. People, I hope you stuck it out with us to the end. It was worth it. If you love Teek Not Han, you know it was worth it. Maybe it was the first time you've ever heard him speak. Go check out his books. He's got 130 books. No Mud, No Lotus is a great one. He talked about that a lot. He said that several times during his talk. Yes. And then also being peace, the one I talked about Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the show. And thank you everyone for being here with us. Uh, The show is expanding new sponsors, new countries, new listeners. There's just so much going on. I just want to thank you so much for everything. And Brynn, is there one more thing you want to say before we go? Thank you so much for being here, by the way, and listening to this tribute to Teak Not Han. Definitely. Thank you for having me. Um, super happy to be part of a tribute to Teak Not Han. Um, no, I just, I just wanted to say really quick that I really appreciate that he brought the concept of mindfulness and engaged Buddhism to the world. That Everything can be a meditation and a moment of mindfulness from every step, every breath, washing the dishes, brushing your teeth, all of those practical, what might be considered mundane things are little enlightenments and little moments of, um, of growing yourself and of, uh, being on your path to enlightenment. Yes, he did bring that to our attention, but from the perspective of the interview, isn't it? just buddha and then step it back isn't it just the all just the all whatever that is the great mystery right and that that dharma talk and really anything that you feed yourself with is the rain coming through to water the seeds that was really beautiful yeah he put that and hopefully our podcast midnight on earth this wonderful podcast it's raining down on you is the rain that's coming to nourish your soil and tell other people, help their soil get nourished as well. Bryn, thank you again for being here and sticking it out for this tribute. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Everyone, we'll see you next week. Midnight on Earth.